morning, I'd like you to open them up with me to the book of Jeremiah, book of Jeremiah, chapter 1. I've been, uh, been praying for some time as to uh, the next book that we would study together on Sunday mornings. As you know, we've just concluded our time in looking at Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And those three books cover a period of Israel's history when after they had been captured and conquered by Babylon, God brought them back into their land and was replanting them, rebuilding them back in their homeland. Well, what we will see here in Jeremiah is actually something of a flashback. This is now going to go back to the time just before Babylon came and conquered them as a nation. So we kind of saw what God was doing in rebuilding and restoring. Now we're going to see what God was saying to his people before their judgment, before they fell as a nation. And even though Jeremiah's ministry did not bear fruit in the sense of restoring and turning the people's hearts back to the Lord, it is an amazing picture of God's grace. Even in a, to a people that have set their way against God, God continues to reach out and continues to minister and is faithful to speak to them. You know, Jeremiah is a, is a, is a book that is personal to me in my own life as well. It was some time back when I was a young man and just in my early 20s, I was a Christian. I had been saved and during high school years and teenager had come to the Lord and had known the Lord for some time. But as it is with young men, I also was distracted in my walk with the Lord. And I found myself as a young man really kind of getting into a lifestyle that was leading me away from the Lord to the place where I almost felt like I began to live something of a hypocrisy. It wasn't anything that I had done intentionally, but it just kind of happened. I found myself calling and claiming myself to be a Christian, and I was, but also entangled with distractions and sinful things, and lead, those things were beginning to lead me away from the Lord. And, you know, the Holy Spirit began to convict me, and the Holy Spirit began to kind of speak to my heart, and it was coming home from work, that I kind of decided that I would start to read through the Old Testament prophets. It began in Isaiah, and then I went into Jeremiah. And so just in the evenings, I would, you know, just kind of quietly read the scriptures. And it was the book of Jeremiah that the Lord used to really begin to speak to my heart. Jeremiah's words, speaking to a nation that was falling and slipping away from God, found their mark on my heart, a man who was slipping and falling away from God as well. And God used the prophet of Jeremiah just to radically stir my heart. And it was the beginning, really, of a restoration process and a, and a time of coming back to the Lord and getting my heart right. So the book has a great uh, personal application in my life. But I think it also will speak to us today. And I think that it has great application in the day in which we live. As I mentioned last week, we're talking about just kind of our nation and the things that are going on in our nation, spiritually speaking. We seem to be at somewhat of a crossroad, and much of our original kind of heritage spiritually is beginning to disintegrate and decay away. 
And you can't help but believe that God, just as Jeremiah was sent to speak to the nation of Judah, God would continue to speak to us and remind us of the things of God as a people, as a nation, to come back to the Lord. And he was, he was sent out to speak to a time in a time where the nation was forgetting the Lord and turning their back on the Lord. And what happens when a nation or a people or a community begin to forget God and begin to remove God from the culture and from the scene? Listen, the people suffer. The society begins to show signs of trouble. The society begins to suffer under the devastating consequences of a life without God. Jeremiah is referred to as the weeping prophet because in his ministering, he is often, you find his heart broken for God's people. He became weary of seeing God's people suffer under the weight and the effect of sin. It must have been a very difficult ministry indeed as he oversaw the death of his own nation. Even though they refused to listen, God was faithful to speak. A couple of quotes that I'd like to read to you, just setting up an introduction here to the book. There is a writer by the name of Kathleen Norris, and she listened to the teachings of Jeremiah on an audio recording and daily would be listening to the, the, the writings of Jeremiah. And she said this, after listening to daily readings of the book, hearing Jeremiah's words every morning, I soon felt challenged to reflect on the upheavals in our own society and in my own life. A prophet's task is to reveal the fault lines hidden beneath the comfortable surfaces of the worlds we invent for ourselves, the national myths as well as the little lies and delusions of control and security that get us through the day. And Jeremiah does this better than anyone. You see, part of the ministry of the prophet was to kind of rattle the cage, stir up the people from their spiritual compromise, wake them from complacency and false security. I, I like what this quote says, to kind of reveal the fault lines hidden beneath. Sometimes we want to just think everything is okay, everything will be okay. But the prophet comes and he speaks the truth and it cuts like a knife and speaks to the heart and says, things are not okay. Even if, if it looks like it might be okay on the surface, God is looking to the heart. God is addressing the heart of His people. And so He would speak to us. Francis Schaeffer, you may have heard of him, a great historian in our time. He said of Jeremiah, Jeremiah provides us with an extended study of an era like our own where men have turned away from God and society has become post-Christian. Speaking to a time when the nation was going through a difficult, difficult fall, Jeremiah speaks to, to bring truth and hope into their lives. You know, as, uh, as a pastor, I, I review the prayer requests that come in to the church on a regular basis. I've selected just a few, and I won't mention any names. No one will be embarrassed here today, but I want you to know that this is not, this is not an unusual uh, request that we see. Prayer requests that come in weekly, we pray over them, we review them, we distribute them to others who then pray over them on occasion, and in, in some situations, if it's a crisis, we'll make contact and try to pray, but 
for the most part, these are people that are just crying out for help. And we see these every week, and I can't help but be stirred by some of them. And I, again, I've just selected. These are just a few of the ones that came in last week. And again, nothing spectacular about them in the, in the sense that we get these all the time. But here's one family. We are praying for them, and I won't mention their names, but we're praying for the mom and dad and the family because both mom and dad are currently in jail and we're praying for their three children. There's a, a request from a youth, one of our teenagers. And they're praying. They've, here's their prayer request. Pray for my family, for my dad to stop using and get his priorities straight, for our financial stress to be gone, for me to focus on school. Amen. This is not the type of burden that a teenager or junior high person should be facing. But this is the type of thing that's going on, even in our own midst. Here's just a, a little prayer request written out, kind of scribbled in a child's type of print. And their prayer request is this. Pray for my dad to come back to the Lord. Just a little young girl putting that into the prayer request. I mention these to you because it's, it's clear that as a, as a people, we are suffering under the ravages of sin. We talk about hope. We talk about the gospel and, and the great things that God has done for us in mercy and forgiveness and restoration. And that is the message of the gospel. But we must realize that the, the power of the gospel comes to those that are lost in sin. That's the good news, that we do not have to live under the bondage and misery of these things. My wife and I recently moved. I've been sharing this with you. We recently moved into uh, closer to the church here. And, you know, we're kind of enjoying our, we're, we're still in boxes and getting settled. But we're, you know, we're checking out the community. You know how it is when you come to a new place. We're out you know, visiting the restaurants and checking out where everything is. And we're taking walks, you know, and I don't know how long that'll last, but right now we're enjoying that. And it just, you know, everywhere we go, oh, good morning and good morning. Aren't they friendly here, you know? And I told my wife, I said, you know, in a few months, I won't even want to talk to these people. But <laughs> right now, I just feel so good about being in the community. And my wife and daughter and I, we went on a little walk yesterday before we went to breakfast and walking through town and just saying good morning to the people as we were walking through. But we came across a young lady who was coming our way, crossing us on the sidewalk. And I was looking, I was going to give her my good morning greeting, and I was looking for eye contact, but I could see she didn't want to say or, or even be seen. She, in a very purposed, looking away down at the ground with a very troubled look, just hurried past us to where we couldn't even, you know, I couldn't even give her a greeting. And I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit or whether it was just my own thinking, but it, it, I couldn't help but feel a burden for her heart. And I thought, Lord, this, this young lady is in pain. This young lady is grieving over something. It's a beautiful morning. And, and you know, it was, it was pretty yesterday morning, and the sun was out and a little breeze, but she was troubled, so much so that she wasn't even able to say good morning as she crossed, the, crossed, crossed us on the sidewalk. And I... I just felt the burden. Lord, people are, are struggling. People are hurting. And it's because of 
the sin and, and the ravage of sin in our lives. Sin does bring destruction and death. It does affect us in, in our personal lives, in our family, in our community, even in a nation. This is the type of circumstance in which Jeremiah is called to minister to a, where a nation that had forgotten and lost their touch with the God of their heritage. And he speaks to them very clearly, very powerfully, and God is in this setting raising him up. I, I have to believe that we will find some relevance here. That we will find not only the words of Jeremiah to be very powerful, but the example of Jeremiah. A man who was willing to stand up and declare the truth to a generation of people that had forgotten the Lord and had come under the destruction and hurt and misery that sin brings. God does not desire this for us. Oh, but we must come to truth. We must come to those things that will rescue us. I believe Jeremiah will speak to our hearts. I'd like to start now, and just we'll just be looking at the first ten verses this morning, the first half of chapter 1. Four things that I'd like to break up into our study. The first thing we'll notice here in verse, verses 1 through 3 is in, in an introduction to Jeremiah, we understand now the time in which he ministered. So number one is his time. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Jeremiah gives us an introduction to the time in which he ministered. It turns out that he was a preacher's kid, the son of a priest. Grew up in and around ministry, no doubt. He lived in Anathoth. This was just a small town, just a few miles out of Jerusalem. So undoubtedly he was, had been in, in and around Jerusalem, the temple, the city. He was a young man growing up even amongst those who were ministers. And he ministered during a very troubled time. This is a time when Judah was really caught between many of the warring world powers. Assyria, Egypt, and Babylon, all were warring with one another, trying to become the major world power, and Judah kind of caught in the middle. He ministered for over 40 years, from 627 B.C. to sometime after 586 B.C. He served during the reign of three kings. Josiah is mentioned. Now, Josiah was one of Judah's last good kings. We know that he came to the throne at, the year, at, at eight years of age when he began to reign. Jeremiah begins to minister during the 13th year of his reign. But Josiah was a man who, who came to bring many reforms to the nation of Israel. He, brought, he, he tore down many of the altars and many of the high places where idolatry was taking place. You know the story if you know Josiah. He was a... He was a king on a mission to really kind of restore the nation. And many good reforms were brought about by Josiah. But what turned out is that immediately after Josiah passed, the nation immediately fell back into idolatry. 
What this reveals is that although there were outward reforms led by the king, the heart of the people never really reformed. Because as soon as the outer reform pressure was gone, they immediately in their hearts went back to the things that had displeased the Lord. And this is why Jeremiah's ministry comes on the scene at this time. Even though Josiah is kind of bringing reformation and many good things, God knows the heart. God sees what's going on in the heart of his people, and he raises up the prophet Jeremiah to begin to speak to the heart of his nation. Also, he, he served during Jehoiakim. He was another king following Josiah. He was something of a political chameleon, really, changing allegiances between the powers that were in play uh, in effort to secure his position. He was not a spiritual man. In fact, he would eventually persecute Jeremiah. And we'll see some of that in our study. Finally, Zedekiah. He became something of a puppet ruler that was put in place by Babylon, but he himself would rebel against Babylon, and eventually he was captured and carried away to Babylon. You may know the story. They plucked his eyes out and took him off to Babylon. This is the time in which Jeremiah is ministering. Jeremiah himself, in the end, although he, would not, he was not deported to Babylon, the king of Babylon allowed him to stay. His heart was there in Judah, but ultimately he was kind of kidnapped and brought into exile into Egypt where he would later pass. But these are the years of his ministry, and that's the time in which he ministers. Secondly, let's consider his calling, verses 4 and 5. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified or set you apart. I ordained you a prophet to the nations." Jeremiah receiving his calling from God, God letting him know that even before he was formed in the womb, God knew him, set him apart, and called him and ordained him to be a prophet. A lot of discussion today politically on the whole idea of abortion as to when life begins. Does life begin at conception? Does life begin Sometime during the gestation period, does life begin at birth? And, of course, much, uh, much political uh, debate over that issue. But it seems clear to me today by the Word of God that life begins even before conception. In the mind and heart of God, He saw Jeremiah and certainly knew him in his mother's womb. And at the moment of conception, he was a being. But even in the heart and mind of God, God saw him even before that. God's plans and callings and purpose for our life do not begin after we're born. God's plans for us are from the beginning of time. God said through the, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2.10, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has a plan and a call for each life. Jeremiah is notified, but God could just as easily say what He said to Jeremiah. He could say it to each one of you this morning. God would say that before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. I set you apart and I ordained you for a purpose 
and for a calling in life. God has a plan for your life. You are not by accident or by happenstance. You are not just some random uh, life kind of trying to find your way. God has purpose for your life. God has something very specific in mind for you. The question often comes up, you know, even, even for those that are willing to receive that truth, okay, I believe it, God has a plan for my life, but then the question is, but what is it? You know, Lord, okay, I, I accept that you have a plan for my life, but what is that plan? I just wish you'd tell me, and then I'd be, I'd be busy about trying to do it. And, you know, we've talked about this before, at least the way I am. I, don't, I, just, I want the Lord to tell me the whole plan from the beginning, then I can, you know, I can pace myself. I can kind of work it out, help the Lord plan it and strategize it. But I've discovered that God doesn't, doesn't work that way. He doesn't reveal the whole plan up front, does He? So let me just offer practical counsel on those of you that know God has a plan for your life, and that's all of you. But those of you that have really received that and believe that, but you're wondering what it is, let me say this. Do what you know now. The part that has been revealed, learn to be faithful with that. There are some things that all of us know God has called us to. There are some parts of our spiritual life and journey that we all know well. We all know that He's called us to be students of His Word. We all know that He's called us to have a relationship, a communion with Him through prayer and through fellowship with His people. God has given much for us to know and to do. It's about being faithful with what we do know. As you're faithful in what you know, then, then trust the Lord to begin to reveal some of those things that you don't know. And let me say this, you need to ask. You need to pray. Lord, what is it that you desire for my life? Call on the name of the Lord. You know, Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord. Jacob, there's there's that tenacity. Lord, I've just got to know. I don't want my life to be lived outside of knowing your will. I must know. Jesus said, if you seek me, you will find me, if you do so with all of your heart. That we would pursue the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord what to do. Ask the Lord what he has for you. Allow Him to give His wisdom, His help, His guidance. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. You may have to wait on the Lord. You may, as I said, God doesn't always give it to you all up front, all at once, but He will show you the next step. And as you seek Him, God will work in and through your life. It's part of the journey for the Christian to discover and yield to that will of God. Paul said in Philippians 2.13, it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. You see, your relationship with Him, it will begin to produce certain desires and certain circumstance that, that give opportunity for His will. He's at work both to will, that you would actually desire it, and to do the opportunity and circumstance to do it. God is faithful God's not trying to keep it a mystery. God's not like, oh, I hope, I hope he doesn't find out. Oh, I hope she never discovers my will. God wants to give you these things. But he wants you to come for it in faith. And he wants you to pursue it with all of your heart. Because that's where these things are found in the Lord. Spiritual things come 
with, by spiritual pressing in the heart of spiritual people. God will speak to you. He is at work in you to do these things. And it's for us to learn discerning and wisdom to grow in it and be a part of it. Thirdly, this morning, we see his time. We see his calling. Let's see his doubts. Look at Jeremiah's response in verses 6 through 8. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. I cannot speak, for I am a youth. This is Jeremiah's response to God's revelation that he's been called a prophet to the nations. Best we can tell through looking at some of the, the dates in which Jeremiah ministered, it's likely that Jeremiah was somewhere between the age of 17 and 25 years of age when God called him. You can kind of imagine why Jeremiah would have said, you know, Lord, I'm a little young to be a prophet to the nations. I can't do this. Not to mention, I'm not really, I can't speak. I'm not really good with words. I'm not that articulate. And this is so common when God often calls a man or a woman or, or impresses upon a heart what his desire is. We immediately look to our own resources to see if it's possible. God's call, said, I've called you even before you were born. This is the plan I have for you. You're going to be a prophet to the nations. Oh, Lord, I can't do that. Look at me, I'm young, I'm just a teenager, I'm not really that that good at this. Remember Moses? God called him, and and Moses said, oh no, God, I can't do that, I'm not articulate, I don't have the words, and God said, didn't I make the mouth and the tongue? Don't you think I'll be able to get you past some of your shortcomings? Jeremiah was young, Moses was old, I mean, there's always a reason. I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm not qualified, I don't have the skills, I'm not ready, you know, I, I'm, I'm too busy. I, 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 I have a past. You don't understand. You know, I, God, I'm not the right man. I'm not the right woman for this task, that which you would call me to. It's part of our response because we misunderstand and we think somehow that when God calls us to something that it's on us to get it done. Now go out and do the best you can, prophet to the nations, and check in with me when you're, when you're done. As if God was not going to go with him and go before him. As if God was not going to anoint him and give him the very words to say. It's that human response. We look to our own resources, our own weakness. We're not unlike Jeremiah. We're not unlike Moses. We're the same way. But I will say this about Jeremiah and Moses and others that God has used. It's better that he says that. It's better that he recognizes his weakness than to somehow imagine that he really is qualified. That's even a worse deception. Amen, Lord, you got the right guy. I'm, I'm your man. Lord, you're, you're fortunate that I have these skills. That would be worse. <laughs> so in one sense... It, You know, Jeremiah responds in his weakness, but in another sense, that actually is his strength. Because he's humble and he knows that that it's it's not in him to do these things. The truth is, that's the kind of man or woman God can use.
Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 1.26, For you see your calling, brethren, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in His presence. You see, your your lack of qualification is in fact the very qualification that God can use you. You're recognizing your own weakness and you recognize that you are not able to do the things that God would have you do in your own strength. That actually qualifies you. If you're one of the foolish ones, one of the weak ones, one of the not many wise and noble ones, you're just what God is looking for. Lest any man glory that he did the work of the Lord, that in his own flesh I have caused these things to happen. God sees the hearts and he's looking for those who do not trust in themselves, but those who can be trained to trust in him. God goes on and and really commands him, you will go. I like this. I like the way the Lord kind of says this to him. Don't say that I'm not a youth. Jeremiah, don't tell me. Sometimes it's best not to speak when the Lord's doing the talking. It's best to just let him speak. Jeremiah, don't tell me that you're a youth. You're going to go where I send you, and you're going to say what I command you to speak. I like this because it, 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 it just uh, it comforts me to know, you know what, it's not on me to figure it out. You know, just think about it. You know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to do the work of the ministry and I have this sense that the Lord has called us to plant a church up here in Monrovia. There's just a few of us and it's like, oh, Lord, how, where, how do you start? Where do you start? What do you do? Where, you know, where do you even find a place? All the uncertainties. And, you know, I like what the Lord says to Jeremiah. Just be quiet and do what I tell you. <laughs> Okay, I can do that, Lord. That's my kind of plan. You know, you just, I'll just follow what you say. And you're going to go where I send you. And you're going to say what I say, tell you to say. And in that, you're going to fulfill the purpose and plan of God. God's not looking for ideas. Oh, oh God, how about this? Oh, oh, okay, God, I've got it all figured out. That's, that, no, learning to yield and submit. God has the plan. God has a good plan for you. And it's learning to discover that. It's learning that walk in faith and yielding to that. God will give you even very specific things that God wants to fulfill and accomplish in your life. God God corrects him. God commands him. And God comforts him. Don't be afraid of their faces. For I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. He lets Jeremiah know, not everybody's going to be happy with your ministry, Jeremiah. You may go and you may share these words and you may see the look on their faces that it's not going over well. Now, i got to tell you, from this side looking out, I see a lot of faces. And there are times, to be honest, that I can tell what I'm saying isn't going over well. <laughs> not with everybody, but with some. You know, I can see that this, that this is not what they want to hear. And God is encouraging Jeremiah that, listen... You can't go out there and make everybody happy. Don't be afraid of men. You be afraid of God who sends you to the men. We can't please others in our obedience to the Lord. We must please Him. 
As we've said, I've heard this at pastor conferences, we preach to an audience of one. I'm sharing what I feel God has compelled me to share. I'm sharing from His Word, not in my own authority, but in the authority of His Word and grace to you. Oh, I wish that you would smile and receive it joyfully. There may be times that you do, but there will be no doubt times when I'm not to be afraid of your faces. But I trust that the Lord will speak truth to us, and I trust that God will help me to communicate those things that He has. I feel it a little bit every time I step into the pulpit. God, help me to speak your words to your people. He encourages Jeremiah through his doubts. Finally, verses 9 and 10, his touch. We see God puts his touch upon his man. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. God touches the mouth of Jeremiah. And the truth is, all ministry comes from God. All ministry needs the touch of the Lord. God is the source of all ministry. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. You cannot do anything apart from me. Abide in me and I in you and you will be fruitful. Jeremiah does not go out without the anointing, without that touch of God's Spirit on his lips. Putting his word in his heart and impressing something of God's nature and calling into the man. God actually putting his passion in the heart of his prophet, and then sending him out as God's spokesman to the nation. Ministry needs his touch. Ministry needs the Spirit. If you desire to be used of the Lord, it cannot be done apart from his touch upon your life, his Spirit, his, the fellowship that you have with him, that abiding in Christ. If you try to do ministry without it, you will be frustrated you will be in the, in the flesh, you will be disappointed, and the fruit that you bear will not be the fruit that remains, which God is interested in, which comes through His touch. But notice what He says, and we'll close here on just a couple of thoughts. Notice what He says about Jeremiah's ministry, kind of giving a little bit of the, the kind of ministry that he's going to have. You're going to root out and pull down. You're going to destroy and to throw down. You're going to build and to plant. Six things are listed there. Four of them are very negative. Rooting out, pulling down, destroy, throw down. And then finally, to build and to plant. Here's the truth about ministry sometimes. Here's the truth about the way God works in our lives. There are times when He has to do a little pulling out and destroying before he can do the building and the planting. There comes a time in a nation or even in a, in, in a church or a denomination that, that God has to, basically he can't use the old system anymore. It's just too corrupt. It's, come, it's, it's past its time. And God actually has to kind of destroy, tear it down so that he can rebuild it. 
Now, we've already studied Ezra and Nehemiah. We know that God plants and rebuilds. But this is the, the ministry of Jeremiah. There has to be first some tearing down before there can be some building. And I found this true in my own life, that there are things that God has had to tear down before He could build up. I've shared this with you before, uh, words from a pastor friend of mine. He said, sometimes God has to break a man before He can use a man. Sometimes God's got to pull out the old before He can plant the new. This is part of Jer- going to be part of Jeremiah's ministry. You'll see it as we get into it. He comes very forcefully against the sin of his nation. And you have to. You can't rebuild. You can't bring the grace and the, and the life of God into, in, into a sinful condition that is not yet willing to lay it down and destroy the old. And that's true even in the Gospel message. I mean, to come to faith in Christ, you have to first realize you need a Savior. If you're just looking for somebody to kind of come alongside what you've got going on, come on, Jesus, yeah, you can... You, this is good, we'll just, I'll just put you into the blend. I'll just kind of walk with you. and it, that's, that's a wrong concept of what Jesus wants to come and do in our lives. He wants to come first and destroy and tear down and uproot sin and its ravage in your life and its dominion in your life and then bring and plant and build new life. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6 and we'll close here in these few verses today. The Apostle Paul talking so eloquently about the grace of God and the love of God and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. But then in Romans 6, he reminds us of something. Romans 6 and verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? You see, baptism is a symbol of being buried in the grave with Christ. Something is dying. Something is being destroyed. Something is is being uprooted and ended. Verse 4, Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The picture of baptism, the imagery of baptism, is to to symbolically show us what's happened in our hearts. Something got buried and something else came alive. Just as Christ went into the grave, so we, our old man and the old way and the old nature and the old thought life, that's dead within the grave. And now I'm walking in newness of life in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Verse 5, For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, and we have, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. That's the good news. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a slave of sin anymore. And verse 7, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. 
The ministry of Jeremiah is no different than the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has come to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Jesus Christ has come to put to death the old man and to bring resurrection life into the new heart and the new life and the new believer. It could be today that you have some things that need to be put down. It might be today that you have some things that are lingering. That old man just keeps wanting to get up and walk around the house with you. You need to put him in the grave and allow the, the newness of life to dominate your heart and life and be led by his spirit. This is part of what Jeremiah is going to call his people to. This is part of what Jesus Christ is calling us to. Those that don't know Him, it's a call to to the cross. It's a call to come and and lay down. Maybe you're tired. You know, like I said, and I'm closing here now, I I see what what sin and the life, a life given to it and dominated by it, what it does. Maybe you're here this morning and you're just tired of it. It's, it's it's, It's run you ragged and you're ready. You're ready to let the Holy Spirit pull it out by the roots today and plant something new and good in your heart. Or maybe you've been walking with the Lord. Maybe you know the Lord and are in fellowship with Him. But maybe you're like me as a young man when I came to Jeremiah and realized, Lord, I, I, got, some, I got some conflict here in my own being. And I need, I need to allow you to come in and do some destructive work first, you know. Bring the wrecking ball and tear some of this stuff down so that you can rebuild something good and fresh and new. And that's what he did, and that's what I believe he wants to continue to do in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this introduction to your prophet Jeremiah, a prophet to the nations, coming to this knowledge even as a young, possibly teenager. But for 40 plus years, he would minister faithfully to a nation that had lost its way. To a people that had forgotten their heritage and their God and their foundation, their their founding principles. But Lord, though people forget you, you do not forget us. And just as you sent your prophet Jeremiah to speak to the heart, So you sent Jesus Christ to speak to us. And so you've sent your Word and the Holy Spirit even today. And Lord, I pray this morning that that our hearts would be encouraged today to know that you have a plan and purpose for each life, even as Jeremiah. And God, that our our shortcomings are, are not going to stand in the way if we'll learn to trust in you. We need to quit saying what we can, can't do. And we need to just... Start living by faith. And finally, Lord, I believe that we need to allow You to have Your way in us. And there are things that need to be pulled down and destroyed, Lord, so be it. In order that the planting and the building, the good resurrection life that You have for us might begin to dominate our every walk and day. Lord, just as our heads are bowed and we're closing today in prayer, I do want to give an opportunity for those that are here this morning that 
that may not know you, Lord, in relationship as they should, or there may be some here today that need to rededicate and recommit their way to you. And as our heads are bowed, I just want to speak to some of you if you're here today, and and the Lord has spoken to you, and you realize that, that you need the resurrection life, the newness of life that Jesus has promised to come into your life. And as I said, maybe, maybe you're tired today. Or maybe you thought somehow that it was too late for you. Or maybe you thought, you know, what would God want with me anyway? You know today by the Word of God that He loves you and He has a plan and a purpose for you. You're not forgotten. You've never been forgotten. And His Word is to you this morning, come and let me tear down the old and rebuild and replant the new that I have for you. And it may be that some need to come to faith in Christ for the first time. You've never really made that decision. I want to pray for you if that's your heart this morning. Or maybe you're here this morning and you need to come back to the Lord. Maybe you've been away and and wayward from God and He is speaking to your heart today. This is not for me, but for you and the Lord. And He's touched you in a way and you know God is saying, hey, come back and let me rebuild and replant those things. And you want to commit and rededicate your life to Him. I want to pray for you as well. If you're here this morning and you want to come to the Lord for the first time or you want to recommit your life to Him and allow Him to tear down and rebuild... Would you raise your hand so that I can see you this morning and I'll pray for you. God bless you. You as well. Many of you there in the back on my left. God bless you. God bless you in the back on my left. Saw a hand over here on the right too. Number of you. God bless you. God bless you. I'm telling you, God loves you. God's got something good. Anyone else in the back? Okay, God bless you. Let him have his way today. Let the wrecking ball in. (laughs) Let him come and, and begin to root out some of those things that have done nothing but rip you off. And let him minister to you. Anyone else before I pray? Lord, I thank You for those who have responded. And Lord, I am so confident that You see their heart. You see their hand, but You saw their heart even before they walked into the building. And Lord, just as You saw Jeremiah before he was in the womb, Lord, You saw this day for the heart of those that would say, Come, Lord. Come into my life. Come back into my life and would concede and yield their hearts and say, I need saving today, Lord. I need You to forgive me of my sin. I need You to wash me and cleanse me by the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross. Oh God, cleanse my heart and make it new today. And Lord, tear down and root up these things that have caused me hurt and harm and pain. Take them out and put inside, Lord, a newness of life. Resurrection power of Jesus Christ. 
Lord, answer this prayer and the cry of their hearts this morning. Meet them in this place. Renew them. Refresh them. May this be the beginning, Lord, of a new work and a new walk and a new life. And the joy of your grace and spirit filling their hearts today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.